Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Working our way through 1 Peter. And then 2 Peter, because it's after 1 Peter. Um, pretty much the way it's going to work. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing how God's Word, um, when we have questions and we have things we're dealing with in our lives, um, and even when we don't realize we need to talk about things, God's Word comes to us. Um, and actually, if we will just take it as it comes, we will actually find um, words of life. That's what we've been talking about. At the end of chapter 1, we were reminded of the greatness of the Word of God, that it remains forever. We were told in uh, chapter 2, if we've tasted the goodness of God in His Word, then we want to keep coming back to feed. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to come back to the Word of God to find the goodness of God and to feed on God's Word. So First Peter chapter 2, verses 4-5, through 5, reminding us of who we are as the people of God. Not just individuals, but as the people of God. Now, there's... There's a sense, especially in American Christianity, and really just in American culture in general, there's a very individualistic mindset. Okay, we, right? It's it's me and mine, it's I, it's get ahead, it's what can the individual accomplish, what can the individual do. We celebrate the individual so often. I mean, even in sports, when teams win championships, if I were to ask you who won. The NBA championship in 1972, first of all, I would be ashamed of you if you knew, okay? Because then I would ask you to quote your favorite Bible scripture and that might prove different, right? But if I asked you who won the NBA championship as a team in 1972, how many people could tell me? No? If I asked you who the greatest basketball player of all time is in a team sport, You'd all have your opinion or you'd all say Michael Jordan, right? Okay, now here, what's my point in all of that? Even in team sports, we focus on individuals. Today, many of you are going to go and you're going to watch football this afternoon, right? A team sport. We've even taken that and Paul and I and several other guys are in a fantasy league and it's about what individuals do, not what the team does. Okay? We've we've kind of taken team things and group things and community things and broken them down to individual things. And sadly, we've done the same thing with what God wants for his people. And this is what I mean. He's bought for himself a people, not individuals. Not simply you, not simply me, but we, us. That's what he's done. When we're told in Scripture that he purchased for himself a bride, it's the church as a whole. It's the body of Christ. When we're celebrating God and his great glory in heaven for eternity, we're going to be proclaiming the greatness of the Lamb because by his blood he purchased a people for God. So here's what I want us to understand. I'm going to say this as plainly as I can, and I want to make sure that this makes sense for the rest of the sermon because we have to get this. This is of paramount importance in the Christian life. It's of paramount importance here in First and Second Peter because the rest of the application is going to be dealing with groups of people, not just individuals. Okay, We're told to put away all malice and envy and strife and all of those things as individuals. Okay, We're supposed to be tasting and desiring and craving the goodness of God through His Word. But now we're going to be told what it looks like to be the people of God. So here's, here's the plain statement. 
Your faith in Jesus, your Christianity, is always going to be personal. But it's never meant to be private. That doesn't mean that you don't have your private time in the Word, you don't have your private time studying with God and knowing God. It's just that it's never meant to be a secret. It's never meant to be, well, that's just between me and the Lord. Our faith in Christ is meant to be public. How else will people know unless we tell them? How else can you be an encouragement to a brother or sister in Christ unless you're encouraging them with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speaking the truth of the Lord into their lives? How selfish would we be if we were learning from the Lord and gleaning from the Lord and tasting the goodness of the Lord and yet not sharing that with others? So he's going to be applied personally to us. We're going to experience it personally. It's always meant to be done in community. We're always meant to be a part of the body. And here in chapter 2, in these couple of verses, we have a couple of images of that. But what's the purpose of us being together? Well, I've been trying to get across this family imagery throughout First Peter. I don't know if you've caught it with God as our Father. And even here in chapter 2 that we are craving the pure spiritual milk so we're like babies in the family. The, the family resemblance of being holy because God is holy. right? A fearing the Lord, but in a way a child fears his father and wants to draw near because the father would protect him and has his best interests at heart. There's a family resemblance and a family life that comes into this as believers. And it's because we are becoming more and more like Jesus. That's God's design, is that we would become more and more like him together. And the, the more you and I both become more and more like Jesus, the more we're going to become more and more like, I know this is frightening to some of you, like what? Like each other. Did you know that? <laughs> Kind of scary, isn't it? How do I know this? Well, first of all, I believe Scripture bears it out that you begin to have all things in common. You begin to love the same things. But how many of you have been married for more than, I don't know, a year? How many of you were very different people from one another when you got married and then you began to like some of the same things? And you began to, right? You become more and more. My wife, sadly, has become a lot more like me good news is I've become a lot more like my wife. Some of you have gotten to witness that over the course of eight years, haven't you? All right. The, the fact of the matter is that the more we become like Jesus, the more we become like one another, the more united we become. So I want you to get this family imagery into your mind, but then we're going to give a couple of analogies of what that looks, looks like and what the purpose is. So this is who we are. We've tasted that the Lord is good. That's what chapter 2 tells us. Chapter 1 tells us we've been born again. We've been ransomed by God. Chapter 1 also tells us that we were exiles on earth, but were precious to God. Well, now in chapter 2, verse 4, we learn that Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but precious to God. Look at what it says. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. That sounds a lot like how he's been describing us for all of chapter 1, right? That we're exiles, but we're precious to God. We're bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That we're, we're chosen of God, that we are 
in Him that He is our Father. And now we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We have become like Jesus if we have placed our faith in Jesus. To the point that we are going to be rejected by the world. We're going to be rejected by men. But we are going to be chosen and precious in the sight of God. So if that's the case, if we need a new family and we can't choose the world as our family anymore, this is our family, then how should we live together as family? And it shouldn't be like a family reunion. You know what family reunions are like, right? How many of you have a crazy Uncle Bob? His main name might be Bill. His name might be Ed. I don't know. But everybody has that. When your kids were younger, you said, don't go hang out with that guy, right? Don't go near him. He's our cousin. Yes, I know. But you don't want anything to do with him. The body of Christ should not be that way. The body of Christ should be a mutual love and care for one another. That we're putting all of that envy and strife away and we're loving each other with an intentional, sacrificial love. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at, here in chapter 2, the paramount issue for believers, which is how do we live together? How important is this? Well, Jesus put it this way. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how important this is. No one in the world is going to know you are followers of Jesus unless we get this right. That's how important this is. Okay, So I want to make sure you understand the importance of what we're talking about here. So we're going to be looking at this for a few weeks as we go through First uh, and Second Peter. So while we may be exiles from the world, we are citizens of this new kingdom together. We are part of this new family. And I want you to see the purpose of being made part of this new family. The purpose of becoming a new people is right here in verse 5. Look at your Bible with me. It says this. Right at the end of the verse it says, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're worshipers. That's what we are naturally. We were made to worship. We're going to worship something. Many of us are trying to worship God, but how are we going to have acceptable worship to God, and more importantly, not just what we're doing here, but in our everyday life, how are our sacrifices and our actions going to be worshipful to God and acceptable to God? Let me, let me use this word acceptable make sure you understand what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about acceptable in the sense of I got up this morning and I put on clothes and I go to my wife and said, how do I look? And she goes, it's acceptable. Right? Not that. Acceptable to God means that we are accepted by Him. There is nothing being rejected. All of that, there's no condemnation anymore. There's not, we are accepted into the family. Isn't it an interesting thing? We just baptized um, several people. And um, one of the things we talk to people about when it, when it comes to faith in Christ, we say things like this. You need to accept Jesus into your heart. Well, I don't want to just blow up your whole theology all in one sermon, but let me first of all say that's nowhere in the Bible. Secondly, let me say, since when did Jesus need to be the one to get accepted by us? Since when does the Holy Son of God need to be accepted by anybody? In fact, his whole ministry was being rejected. Right? The whole hope we have is that Jesus got rejected. He got rejected by the world and put on a cross. And in doing so, guess what he does? He accepts us. The goal of the Christian life isn't that we accept God, it's that we would be acceptable to God. (laughs) The only way that happens is through Jesus. So often we've made God the one that, well, 
You know, I accept that you're Lord. He is Lord. Whether you accept it or not. Guess what? Always going to be Lord. Always has been Lord. Always. Yeah, He's Lord. And I want to make sure we understand this. The issue at hand in the Christian life is not whether we're going to accept God. It's whether we're acceptable to God. Whether He's going to accept us in our worship. And here we're told, here's how your sacrifices will be acceptable to God. A, they need to be spiritual. Look at the passage. It says, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. I think this may be where we as churches fall short often. And we as individuals fall short. Is our sacrifices, our ministries, our programs, our worship, these things, they become kind of more pragmatic than they are spiritual. We take on the notions of what the world says. Well, this is how you grow something. This is how you do something. This is how you engage. This is what you do. And we don't take God at His word and say, God can do greater than the world ever could do. We come up with strategy sessions, right? I get to go to lots of big meetings. When I go to these meetings, there's lots of strategies. And I'm usually the guy in the back corner going, Hey, everybody. Think God might have a strategy here? Might be better than our strategy? One of the things I've noticed in churches, and I think we have a bit of a history of this too, and I'll just be honest with you, is as the world changes around us, we have a tendency to just hope we survive. Let's just make sure we survive. Make sure we have what we need for the future. And if we just keep this over here and we just keep this here and if we just get everything into place and we'll survive. God never desires for His church to survive. We are a city on a hill. We're meant to be the very thing that proclaims to the world that Jesus Christ is great. Survival doesn't really seem to do that, does it? Could it be that We've lowered our standards to the world's standards of just making sure we can go another day. I joke with our counters just about every week. I was like, we can be able to stay open for another week. I, I, I hope they know I'm joking. <laughs> the reason I know I'm joking is because we belong to Jesus, not to your pocketbooks and checkbooks. So we can dream bigger dreams than any money could ever dream for us. We could desire to reach people that no one would ever think this church could reach. But only if that's what God is calling us to do. Only if it's spiritual. If it's, hey, we want to make a name for ourselves, that's not spiritual. Hey, this is my idea and this is the thing I'm really passionate about. I haven't prayed about it, but this is what I'm really passionate about. It's not spiritual. So are we pursuing spiritual sacrifices, spiritual ministry, spiritual worship to the Lord? Or are we desiring yeah, to simply survive? Simply hold on. We're not meant to hold on to this building. We're not meant to hold on to our structures. We're not meant to hold on to any of it. We're meant to hold fast to Christ. When we hold fast to Christ, we are freed up to be spiritual beings. He desires spiritual realities in our lives. A.W. Pink says, Whatever I cannot do for God's glory must be avoided. Well, that's about as cut and dry as it gets. If I am not doing this or cannot do this for God's glory, I shouldn't do it. Period. And I would say as a church, if it has not been prayed over and it has not been um, become obvious that this is God desiring and it's going to honor God, we, we shouldn't do it. If it's not reaching people with the gospel, 
maybe we shouldn't do it. But we need to be willing to say it's not about us surviving, it's about us honoring Him and, and our sacrifices being acceptable to Him. Hudson Taylor said, I've seen many men work without praying, though I've never seen any good come out of it. But I've never seen a man pray without working. Oh, that we would be the people who would pray and then do what God commands us to do. Colossians 3.17 tells us, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then Galatians 6 tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It goes on in that passage to tell us, Whatever one sows, he will also reap. It goes on then to tell us that if you, re- if you sow out of the flesh, you're going to get back corruption and death. If you sow out of the Spirit, you're going to get back eternal life. I don't know about you, but as a church, I'd much rather get back eternal life. Anybody else up for life over corruption and death? This is what it looks like to be the body of Christ, is that we have spiritual sacrifices put up before the Lord through our prayers, through our ministries, but we're desiring His glory and we're resting in the power of His Spirit. We're relying in the power of His Spirit, not on our own abilities. I know I can do this in my own life, and I, I, fall, I fall short often in this in my own life. Uh, I have certain gifts and abilities that I can lean on. And I can act out of those as opposed to acting out of the power of the Spirit of God who dwells in me. I'm telling, I just want to ask you, if you are relying on your own abilities and not on the Spirit, here's the difference between the power sources that you're relying on. One, we're told that anything we do in the flesh is filthy rags, leads to destruction and corruption. Versus the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. I ask you, which one seems the wiser choice? And as a church, which one seems the wiser choice? If we're going to be acceptable to God as a church, it's got to be by His Spirit working through us and relying on and working by His Spirit. But we're also told that the way our sacrifices can be acceptable is the last three words there. It says, through Jesus Christ. There's no other way for our our sacrifices, our worship, our ministries, our programs, our ideas to be acceptable except through Jesus Christ. We are meant to be people of God by the blood of Jesus Christ, by Christ. Our life is hidden in Christ. We are one with Christ. We are one in Christ. All of this is impossible without Jesus Christ. So if Christ is not being honored and glorified, if we're not acting as if we belong to the family and look like Jesus, it's not going to be acceptable to God. Well, what does it look like? What is the pattern for all of this? What is it going to end up looking like if we're spiritual in our sacrifices and it's all through Jesus? Well, the more we become like Jesus, the more we become like what? Each other. So unity is produced. And that's right here in the passage as well. As you come to him, verse 4, and he's a living stone rejected by the men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, all of us, are like living stones, are going to be built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. All of us, when we come to Jesus and we begin to look like the stone that the builders rejected there, we're going to look like stones that the builder rejected, but God is going to see us as precious and He's going to start building us into this building 
this glorious temple, this glorious place of worship, a glorious residence for His Holy Spirit to dwell. You know His Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're a child of God, right? Did you know that the Holy Spirit then dwells among His people as well? That we, when we become the building of worship, not this building, but us, that the Holy Spirit works among us and dwells among us. We become the dwelling place together for the Holy Spirit. When we gather together in love and in unity and in worship and we're offering spiritual sacrifices to the Lord, there should be no other place on earth that someone could walk in and see a clearer picture of the greatness of Jesus than if they were to walk in among us showing love to one another and ministering to one another in the Spirit. That's the goal. That's the design of God. And the design here, and he gives a couple of illustrations, the first is that we become a building, which is like a home for the Holy Spirit. A spiritual house is what we become. So, so think about this. There are two choices. Each of us is a stone in this image. Okay? Say it with me. I'm a stone. Okay. All of you say it this time. I'm a stone. Okay, good. You're either going to be a stone that's accepted by the world or rejected by the world. Which means you're either going to be a stone that is rejected by God or accepted by God. Are you with me? That's the language being used here. Everybody's a stone. Say it again. I'm a stone. stone. Okay. So you're going to be used to build something. You're either going to be used by God when you're accepted by God through Jesus Christ, by the power of His Spirit. You're being built up with me, with all of us. Right? We each have our spot. We're a choice living stone that we fit in somewhere in this building for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell among us and to demonstrate the glory of Jesus. You're either going to be built, used to build that and be a living stone or you're going to be a dead stone in a rubble pile. Those are the two choices. That's it. Those are the only two choices given here. Is you're a choice living stone precious to God used to build up a place for His Holy Spirit to dwell or you're on the rubble pile. Which sounds better to you? <laughs> so I ask you, if, if you're here and you say, well, I, I kind of want to do this thing on my own, this Christian life thing on my own. Here's what you're saying. I know I've been cut out by God for a purpose, but I'd rather hang out on the rubble pile. You were made new for a purpose. And that purpose isn't just to go on a mission trip. That purpose isn't just to work in the nursery. Those are all great things. That purpose is that along with every other believer, that you would house the Holy Spirit and demonstrate the power of Jesus. That's what you've been remade to do. What a shame. What a shame it would be if we chose the rubble pile. C.S. Lewis used this illustration. I think it's pretty great. When, when we think about what God wants to bless us with, and we say, God, bless us. And God, I want to be where you want me to be, and I want to do what you want me to do. So often we play in a, a sand pile or a mud pit and look at that as if it's the beach. <laughs> but God has the beach for us. Don't settle for your holiday to be found in a sand pit. Go to the beach. 
God doesn't just want you to be on the rubble pile. A beautiful choice stone cut out by Him for a purpose, sitting useless. He desires you to be used and primarily to demonstrate the greatness of the Spirit. So here's what we're told. Come to Jesus. So deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Him. And then through Jesus, you'll find acceptance, you'll find family, you'll find life, you'll be a living stone. And everything you do among the people of God will be to His glory. The Old Testament is full of this imagery of the stone. We preached through Daniel not too long ago. And Daniel went in to interpret the vision and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar where he saw this stone that crushed this big statue that was in his dream. And Daniel reveals to him that this stone is one that would come and crush all of the kingdoms of men. This stone would come and accomplish that. Isaiah spoke of the stone laid in Zion, this precious Jerusalem, this precious Temple, this precious place of worship. The psalmist spoke of a cornerstone that would bring salvation to all who would believe in it and would also serve as a stumbling block to all who rejected. And then Jesus comes along and about the most sacrilegious thing you could say, he goes, oh, all that stone talk that you read in the Old Testament, all that stone talk you've read in the Word, that's me. I'm the stone laid in Zion. I'm the stone that's crushing every kingdom of man. It's not the temple, folks. It's not Jerusalem, folks. It's not being an Israelite, folks. It's me, is what Jesus says. And then Peter comes back and goes, and everybody who is found in Jesus now, just like Jesus is the choice stone of God, we become choice stones of God. We become like Him. All of us get to be a part of that. All of us get that life to be a part of that with Him. David Helm says, when we come to Jesus, not the city of Jerusalem, or I would say our nationality or anything of that sort, then we come to the living stone. When we come to Jesus, not to Judaism or our religious structure or strategies or traditions, we come into God's kingdom. And when we come to Jesus, not the ornate temple or our church building or our church programs or man-made symbols, we become God's spiritual house. And here's the cool part of it. Not only do we become the house, we also become the priesthood. And that's what it says, right? You're built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Not only are we the temple, we're the worshipers. So not only do we become the home for the Holy Spirit, we get to experience His presence in worship and proclamation of His greatness every day. This is what God's design is for His people, that we would house the Holy Spirit and be a demonstration of His power to everyone who comes in contact with us by coming to Jesus, by offering spiritual sacrifices through Jesus. What in your life is about you? Where do you find your identity? Is it in yourself, what you've done, what you've accomplished? Is it in Christ? Where do you find your strength? Is it in your gifts and your abilities? In your strategies, or is it in the Spirit? Where do you find joy in worship? Is it in a style and a preference, or is it in the Spirit? Where do we find our family? God's design is that we would find our family with God as our Father, with Christ as our head, with brothers and sisters, and that He will dwell among us. When we identify with the rejected Jesus, who is precious to the Father, then though we are rejected by the world, 
we will be accepted by the Father. Jesus said it pretty plainly, didn't He? If you deny Me before men, I will deny you before My Father who is in heaven. I ask you, what in our lives is denying that Jesus is the King? What in our lives is denying that our real power for life is spiritual, not in our abilities? What do we need to change? What do you need to change? What do I need to change? What do we need to change? I think the application of this comes down to this. As you ask God to search your heart, what needs to change in your hearts, what needs to change among us, here's what I would say. Is your desire that the world see how great Jesus is and how much we need Him? Is that your desire? Is your desire for the world to know how great Jesus is and how much we need Him? Anybody? Okay. Glad seven of you think that's your desire. That's good. Is your desire that the world see how great Jesus is and see our need of Him? How will they need? How will they know that they need Jesus if we act like we don't? If we can just strategize our way around things. If we can just come up with plans and programs to take care of that little issue. If I simply take the strategies of the world and apply them to the church, how will they ever know how much I need Jesus? How much we need Jesus? And how much better Jesus is? See, when we're telling the world how great Jesus is, we're also telling the world how much better Jesus is than what they have. The only way to do that is to live as if Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we come to Jesus, you will transform us, make us more like Jesus. And though we be rejected by the world, I praise you that we will find acceptance in Jesus. And may we live acceptable lives, not just as individuals, but as a church. Revive us to this desire to see Jesus' name made great among us and to the world around us. Help us to rely on your spirit instead of relying on ourselves. Lord, you've kept this church around since 1771, but I praise you that long before that, you purchased the people in this church and you purchased your bride that finds its uh, identity here at Old Powhatan long before 1771. Lord, I thank you that even before Jesus purchased us, it was in your heart to have a bride for your son. And you have purposed to make us your people. So what have we to fear of what this world could throw at us? Lord, if we won't do it while we have freedom, what makes us think we will do it when we don't have freedom? So change us today, Lord. Help us to rely on your Spirit, not on ourselves. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.